0: Beautiful people, welcome to God is Gray, the podcast. Although I, as a Christian, believe that God resides in absolute truth, in black and white, we as people are stuck here on planet Earth contending with the gray. In church, gray areas often cause dissension, anger, and even hate. But on this platform, I welcome open dialogue, variety of opinion, and differing belief systems. God is Gray is meant to teach, inform, and simply trade stories with kindness, love, and mutual respect. If you have a story or perspective to share, please reach me, Brenda Marie Davies at God is Gray XO at gmail.com. To support the cause and be a part of our community, donate to patreon.com slash gray. Now, on to the episode. Hi, beautiful people. Today, I'm telling you the story I've been waiting three years to share with you. The moment I created God is Gray, I knew this day would come, and I've been dreading it. I'm shaking... <laughs> I've got some tissues prepared. I don't even really know where to begin. I've told my story a million times. I was married. I got divorced. And then I went on what I have called a trampage, my sexual exploration. I had to battle every single day to believe and to know that God still loved me that I was still valuable, that I would still find a spouse that would actually want to align with me, all because I had gotten married, I had sex, and I was a divorcee. The first man I dated when I got divorced actually told me that he would never marry me. I felt like used goods. And the narrative of our secular culture and our church culture both often tell women the same story my sense of self-worth especially in my sexuality began to completely unravel and that is very very unfortunate because if i ever needed a time in my life where i had self-worth and self-esteem and knew how to advocate for myself it needed to be in this moment in this exploration that i was calling a trampage There were moments in my life where I didn't advocate for myself because I did not know I was worth it. My sexual exploration was agony and ecstasy. I many times felt free and uninhibited and in pleasure with people who did honor my body and respect the woman that I was. But the agony came in when men lied to my face and had cheated on me when people told me they were with me but they were actually seeing other people these little dings in my self-esteem kept chipping away i kept feeling less and less valuable less and less beloved because the church had long ago abandoned me And now these men were sort of reiterating and proving that point. You are not that valuable. You are not marriage material. I fell madly head over heels in love for the very first time in my life, in my late 20s. And that man looked at my sexual history, this exploration, looked me dead in the eye and said I could never marry a whore. I looked back at him and said... Do you mean you could never marry a woman who has sex for money? And he looked dead in my eyes and said, No, I said I could never marry a whore. That was excruciatingly painful because he was clearly talking about me for having had sexual adventure and experience and heartbreak and pain. But it also reiterated these old narratives that I would be less than. I've always been less than since I was no longer possessing this thing that both church and society said I needed. My reaction to that man calling me a whore, saying he would never be with me, drove me into the most abusive relationship I've ever had in my entire life. I didn't realize at the time, but I was so broken down and depleted one time I had an out-of-body experience when someone was having sex with me in a way that was too violent for my taste and although this was someone that would have received my truth and honored that I didn't want to have sex in that way I instead had my first ever disembodied experience I floated outside of myself And I can still see it in my mind's eye today, just hovering over the bed, watching this situation unfold and thinking, this is what you deserve. You are having sinful sex. What did you think would happen? And when I went back to my friend's hotel where we were staying in New York at the time, I flipped everything into a joke. I made fun of the fact that I had been modeling the night before and my hair was a mess and my makeup was running and I was wearing these huge heels and we did laugh together, but she told me recently that she looked at me and knew that I had had a traumatic experience. I have very often shielded myself from that reality of trauma by using humor by diffusing things and pretending things are funny when they're not. So when I broke up with this man that I loved, who called me a whore, I fully immersed myself in this new relationship. I was in so much darkness, I couldn't even see straight. I wasn't present for my friends, for my family, and let alone for myself. This is context for where I was. I didn't believe that I deserved good things, respect. I had allowed my body to be in situations where she was harmed, abused, at times raped, And these were things that I couldn't even recognize until the advent of the Me Too movement. So many of me and my friends sat at dinner tables together and recounted experiences that we hadn't realized were rape or that we hadn't realized were abuse. I was groomed and told my entire adolescence and adulthood to not listen to my body, to turn her off, to shut her down, and to shut her up, and to shut myself up, to shut my voice up. So at this point, I'm stifled, I'm repressed, I'm abused, and I think I'm free because I've let go of these trappings of purity culture. I think because I am expressing my sexuality whenever I want, however I want, that i have overcome these things that i am in a place of health but i am absolutely not at this point in my life this man put a tattoo on my body another abuse of my body another misuse of it something that i also hate that i hate to show people because for me my tattoos symbolize this loss of value of self-worth and I lost self-worth in every element of this relationship I followed this guy around like a puppy dog I did whatever he wanted I said what I thought he would want me to say I think I was in this relationship for two or three years I honestly black out so many pieces of it because I've never wanted to look at it And a huge part of that trauma, the pinnacle of that trauma, was that he manipulated, abused, and coerced me into having an abortion. I find it really difficult to watch how many men platform themselves on the notion that abortion is wrong and that they are going to fight for it as though there are some heroes of this cause out to save all of the unborn. And their solutions are so oversimplified and so diminishing. The Ben Shapiros who say women should just leave their legs closed and it's as simple as that without really calling out what's true, which is that for every abortion that there is in the world, there is a woman you're shaming, you're pointing at, you're telling her she's going to hell, Where are the men? I've never seen the YouTube video or read the expose or the article of the man who abused a woman into an abortion, who drove her to the clinic, who told her that's the way it needed to be, who asserted his power to win that argument, or who made himself so diminished as a man that he would prove he'd be a bad father. I found out I was pregnant right behind there in that bathroom where I peed on the test and it came out positive. I went to the kitchen, a bundle of nerves, I looked at him and I was like, I think I'm pregnant. And the very first thing he said to me was, you're not gonna keep it, right? And I said, I have to think about it. My true thought was I am capable God has offered me many opportunities in my life and I have never willfully turned one down but this man lived in my house. He had an attitude that permeated everything that was a part of me this was a person who had so much control over me because abuse is insidious this is what I always tell people you don't go on a date with someone and then they just slap you across the face it is a slow process they begin by gaslighting they begin by removing certain friends if you have a strong-willed tenacious friend who is excited to be a part of your life the abuser will most often alienate that person from you. My abuser would often say oh you had plans with me when I tried to hang out with other people so his control over my life was extreme and I was deep deep in it when I found out about this pregnancy. So on top of him manipulating my friend groups, manipulating when I was going out and why and where, he was also very actively abusing me into an abortion one specific time i remember i was really wrestling i wanted to keep the baby and i was in the shower wrestling with that and he flung up in the shower curtain and said Have you decided yet? I looked at him and said, no. He grabbed every towel off the racks and began throwing them at my head one by one. That might've been the strongest, most tenacious moment I had because I remember it just boiled up inside me like a lioness and I said, leave me alone going to make this decision on my own and i did pledge to do that from that moment forward i thought this man is not going to determine whether or not i have an abortion the abuse didn't stop of course one night i had lost my voice have you ever had a dream where you're trying to express yourself and nothing will come out of your throat and people are around you are waiting for you to say something and it just won't come out. It was like that. It was a living nightmare because I was not asleep. I was awake and it was happening to me. I had just bought myself this convertible before I found out I was pregnant. This abuser knew how valuable that was to me that I had worked so hard to achieve this goal of mine, to have this car that I wanted. So this particular night, he drank like a half a bottle of vodka unbeknownst to me he was running red lights we almost got t-boned by an suv he got on the freeway he's switching lanes like crazy and again i have no voice and i'm looking at my friend in the front seat and i'm grabbing for him and i'm saying please tell him to slow down tell him to stop so we get there to venice And the final move, he goes over the pavement and onto the beach, onto the sand, which anyone who's familiar with Venice, you know that's not something you do. It's outright illegal. It's not a driving zone. It was his final F.U. to me, the way that he was treating my car and the way he had just endangered my life and the life of this baby that was inside of me. Still, I was keeping the baby. I told my parents I was pregnant, I was gonna have a baby. I told a small circle of my best friends and they celebrated with me. And then one night, my friends was visiting from out of town and I went to the store to get groceries to make her dinner. In my peripheral, I saw something run in front of my car, and then I felt that terrible crunch of bones. I looked at him, and I was like, Oh my God, what is that? And he said... It was a basketball. Keep driving. When he said that, I knew he was lying. So I pulled over and I was like, no, I'm not going to let an animal die on the side of the road. I'm going to see if there's something I can do. I'm going to go investigate this situation. So I leave the car and he's acting like an idiot. I don't even want to call him a child because I respect children more than this. He was in his darkness. He was in his selfishness and his fear and he sat in that car stewing with rage. So I walk down the street and I see this young girl bowed over and looking underneath a car. So my whole stomach drops, I get that sick feeling and I'm like, oh God, I'm gonna see this animal. So I walk up and it's this tabby cat, this stray. It's writhing in pain it's experiencing the last moments of life and i look at this girl and i'm like oh my god i'm so sorry i did that i didn't mean to hit her and she looked at me so angry and said him it's a him and i realized in that moment that this girl was taking care of the cat they had a relationship so out of care for both the girl and for the cat who is dying I sat on the pavement with them and her and I pet the cat together and then when the cat passed over, me and the girl just sat back on the pavement together and she just looked blank and so sad. So I look back at my ex and he's standing at the wall with his arms crossed, just mad that I've drug him into this situation. That night was the first time that I began pondering a no before then i was always thinking yes i just have to figure out how and that night it became i don't know this is where the story might get really controversial for some people or might challenge your notion of life death choice my mom years before had introduced me to this incredible couple that lives in georgia And they are considered Christian prophets. In non-Christian circles, you might call them psychics. Anytime I've spoken to them, they have given me so much wisdom that has been pivotal or has changed my life in some way. When I called, the husband picked up the phone and he said, Hi, Brenda, how are you doing? And I just said, Hi. And he goes, Oh my gosh, you're pregnant. Let me get my wife. That moment warmed my heart because it reminded me of how in tune with spirit they are. It reminded me that they were a safe place to land and they would listen and they did. They let their opinions take a full back seat and what came forth was a wrestling with questions. They presented thoughts to me and when I hung up the phone... I felt I had been given permission to make a choice and even I myself paused to say it because I actually hate abortion. What I'm about to tell you was one of the worst days of my entire life. The final step was pragmatic. I went to a girlfriend's house who has two children and we sat on her porch and she gave me a list of her expenses. My family doesn't live in Los Angeles, so she said this is how much child care costs. This is how much school will be. This is how much diapers are. This is how much the birth will be. Birth can be very, very, very expensive. That's another reason I am a huge advocate for universal health care. All of these things contextually make up who I am, what I advocate for, what I believe in, because they are a part of my lived experience. I spoke to friends who lived in Berlin, Germany, who were happy to have a baby because they have healthcare for free, their birth was free, they had childcare for free, they had paid family leave for both father and mother. There were no obstacles to them saying yes, except their own desire or lack thereof to have a child. This is not the case in America. I was faced with many, many obstacles. And the greatest obstacle of all, of course, was knowing that the father of this child openly said he would not support, he would not help. But still, I sat with myself and still I sat with God and I meditated and I prayed and I begged for an answer. When I went to Planned Parenthood, it happened in a fog. I paid $750 you're waiting hours and hours and hours I think I waited maybe four and a half to five hours it got to a point where I started shaking and crying I couldn't I couldn't stay in the fog I couldn't just zone out and I went up to the receptionist and I was like please how how much longer do I have to wait here and she was sympathetic but You know, they couldn't bump me up on the list or anything like that. I know Planned Parenthood is imperfect and has its flaws, but also my experience was that they offered me to look at the sonogram. They were legally required to offer a sonogram, and I chose to look away. And they shuffled me from room to room asking the same questions over and over again, which We're heavily based on, are you here of your own free will? Has anyone coerced or manipulated you into this? But the thing that no one can get through is this wall of your own denial about being abused. Your wall of your own denial about being coerced and manipulated Into that room, into that situation. So I said, Yes, I'm here of my own free will. No, I'm not being abused. No, I'm not being coerced. Finally, they shuffle you into this room. You lay down on the bed. You put your legs in the stirrups. I remember everyone was gentle and soft spoken. And one of the nurses, who was a male nurse, Asked if there was anything I wanted to listen to. I did not feel worthy of anything that would have made the experience more pleasant for me. I didn't even think to ask to hear music that I'd actually want to hear. So I just said, whatever you want to play is fine. And then I was given a sedative, which I'd opted into which would remove the experience of pain. But I was in so much turmoil and so much fog and pain in my own head that I remember when I went under and felt that like euphoric bliss right before that moment, I thought, oh my God, no, I don't want to do this. And then I zonked out and felt this like swish, that they tell you about and then they took me off the table helped me walk out to the waiting room where there was several other women there and I was given a couple cookies and a little cup of orange juice and you're just sitting there just stunned afterwards my boyfriend at the time picked me up And he was elated and I could tell he was so relieved. He had this new buoyancy in his step. He was like, let me get you dinner, anything you want. So we went to one of my favorite spots and picked up dinner and I had to have him pull over so I could vomit on the side of the road because I was sick from the pain medication. I had a severe panic attack. Because I had felt the presence of a being, the knowing that this spirit had been removed from my body was the most excruciating feeling I've ever had. I was wailing and and hyperventilating and I couldn't breathe and he was giving me this fake comfort and solace of you did the right thing and you knew what was best and I just was like get away and just hyperventilating and I wanted her to come back and I knew it was a she and I knew that she was gone. Less than a week after, I called the prophetic couple and without telling them they again knew the situation. And I remember I was sitting on my kitchen counter, just kicking out my legs, and I just said something like, it's over, I'm not pregnant anymore. And they were both sad, but the first thing that the husband said was, she wants to know if you need her. And I sat with that for a second and said, what? And he said, ask her her name. I said, okay, what's your name? And I heard Rose. Then he said, she's lingering around you. She's worried about you. She doesn't know whether or not you need her to stay. And I said, oh my gosh, of course I don't need her to stay. I'm the one that didn't bring her into this world, I felt that she had knocked on my door, that we have a whole galaxy that we hold as women in our bellies. And I had dispelled her from that place. I had sent her back to wherever she came. I didn't know how it worked, but I knew that when she had knocked at that door and asked to be a part of my life, that i had told her no i said please tell her to come back anytime i will rearrange my whole life to welcome her back in and the prophetic husband said is she free or not so i have tears streaming down my face and i say okay she's free and he said that's right you don't tether spirits to yourself And my Christian women who are listening, you must know that this is not what we hear in church. We are called murderers. We are told that souls have one chance at this and that if we say no, we are killing them irrevocably. It's over. And this Christian couple in their spiritual selves, in their truth, were telling me that she was lingering, and that she had somewhere else to be. I made the decision that I made because I was with an abuser. And still, I don't use that as an excuse. I offer it as my reason. And I have wrestled with the shame and pain and fear of having made this decision. When I began God is Gray, I was about three years into the healing journey because what Rose did for me was she propelled me into action. Rose taught me that I was worthy. I wanted to be a vessel that brought forth life. Abortion is presented as a black and white. Sin, easy peasy, wash our hands. We know the answer. But for all of us who have actually had that experience, we know that is so much more complicated, so much more nuanced. And many people, like myself, like people in poverty, like people in abusive situations, have made that choice. Out of what they believed was protecting that child. If you want the whole story, it is in my memoir, On Her Knees. I wrote this book as a love letter to all of you out there who have experienced any of these situations. I have been through so much with my sexuality, and it all began with both cultures. Purity culture hookup culture church culture secular culture it doesn't matter women again have been through so much i love you all so much thank you for creating this safe space for me and <laughs> now i'm crying i'm so grateful for you all i'm so grateful that i felt safe to share this story with you i really love you all so much god bless